This episode is a conversation with Brigadier General Joe Ramirez. We discuss leadership, the Corps cadets, and the Fighting Texas Aggies. It first aired on May 18th, 2020. At that time, this podcast was sponsored by CSHS JSA. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your friends. It's free, just like our country. General Ramirez, I wanted to start off uh, by winding back the clock a little bit and going back to your senior year of high school. So you're in Houston, Texas. Why did you choose Texas A&M? Why the Corps of Cadets? What's your Aggie story? Yeah, well, first off, uh, I grew up in the inner city, um, all Hispanic neighborhood, blue collar. Um, not a lot of kids from my neighborhood went to college, and I wasn't planning to go to college. In fact, I was most likely going to join the Marine Corps, which is what a lot of my buddies were going to do. And so that was kind of my plan. I wasn't thinking at all about college. And I happened to be in downtown Houston on a Saturday morning. Um, and this was back in the days when Texas A&M played Rice. The Corps cadets would march into downtown Houston. And to this day, I still do not remember why I was in downtown Houston, but I was down there. And I saw this parade start up, and I see all these guys walking by, and here comes the Corps cadets. And, of course, the first organization that you see in the Corps is the Fight in Texas Aggie Band. And at the time, I played alto sax. So, uh, I, I mean, I saw this organization march by, and I just went, wow. I don't know what that is, but I want to be a part of it. And so um, I went to my high school counselor that following week and said, I, I want to go to college, and I want to go to Texas A&M. And he didn't believe me. He, <laughs> he said, no, you don't. And I said, no, I really do. I want to go to Texas A&M, and I want to be in the band. And uh, he tried to convince me to go to the <laughs> University of Texas. Wow. He really tried to convince wow. me to go to the University of Texas, and I kept saying, no, I really want to go mm -hmm. to A&M. And so that's what kind of what started it. And the only reason I joined the Corps is because I wanted to be in the band, mm -hmm. um, not really understanding what all came with that. I knew nothing about the Corps, nothing about A&M. I didn't even know where A&M mm -hmm. was. Uh, but having seen that, that mm -hmm. march in um, had a huge impact on me, and that's what led me to, to decide to come to Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. So what, what about year was that? That was uh, probably 1973, 74, somewhere around there. Okay, so since 1973, 74, uh, in the Corps of Cadets, how has the Corps changed since then? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, you know, when you think about the, the late 70s and the fact that mm -hmm. back then we had no computers, we had no Wi-Fi, we had no cell phones, um, we didn't have a lot of the amenities that young people today in college have. Um, uh, the, the teaching styles have changed. The, cl the, the classes have changed. Our world has changed dramatically since then. So we've had to adapt and adjust with the core as well. Um, when you talk about leadership, which is what that's kind of the foundation of what the core cadets is all about, um, leadership styles have changed as well. It's no longer the dictatorial, autocratic mm -hmm. style that uh, most people respond to today. It's It's more of a collegial style, more of trying to tell people that, look, look out for your mm -hmm. people and your people will look out for you. That's always kind of been the, the what, I, what I talk to cadets about. It's the golden rule of leadership. Take care of your people. Your people will take care of you. So trying to instill that and teach them about ethics and values and the value of that in today's society uh, have changed dramatically. Those are things we didn't really talk about back then. Um, it was a different time, a different focus. Um, different leadership styles, um, a different environment mm -hmm. all the way around. So today it's more along the lines of 
trying to make sure that our young people are fully prepared for the environment they're going to enter today mm -hmm. and not so much do it just because that's the way we've always done it and it has no application to the mm -hmm. world they're going to enter once they graduate. So I, I have friends today who uh, are in the Corps but don't plan to go on to the military. Mm -hmm. um, when you were a student in the Corps at Texas A&M, was it mandatory that you go into the military? And if not, when did you make that decision to join the Army? Yeah, now the, the, the compulsory military service ended in 1965. So that had ended long before I came to Texas A&M, 10 years later in 1975. Um, so we didn't have mandatory military service. As a matter of fact, um, not a whole lot of members of the Corps went into the military in the late 70s. We just come out of Vietnam. Uh, military service was not viewed very highly by the, by the public in general. So not a whole lot of Aggies went in the military. And quite frankly, I was not planning to go into the military. Um, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I came to A&M, I was getting a physical education degree, planning to go on to physical therapy school once I graduated. But at the end of my sophomore year, um, I got called into the Commandant's office thinking I was in trouble. Um, I went in there and uh, at the time it was uh, Colonel Woodall, I believe, or no, Colonel Parsons. And um, he offered me a two-year Army ROTC scholarship. And that scholarship was going to take a big financial burden off of my family and I. Um, and my family worked, I was the first member of my family ever to go to college, so my family was working hard to put me through school. And so when they said, we'll cover everything except room and board, tuition, books, fees, supplies, we covered all uh, except room and board. Uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, you know, and he, re he reminded me, he said, now, you know, you, you owe four years to the Army when you graduate. <laughs> And I said, that's okay, I, I can do four years, no problem, and then I'll come back to Houston and you know, drive a beer truck or something productive like that. Um, so I signed, and at age 20, I signed on the dotted line and made a decision that would change my life completely. Um, because where I thought I would stay in the Army four years and get out, I stayed 31. And uh, been all over the world, have seen things and done things that most people just read about in a book. Um, have seen things and done things that I wish I hadn't seen and done. I've mm -hmm. uh, been in places that uh, I hope I never have to go back to, uh, but experienced some wonderful things in the military over those 31 years that uh, I wouldn't change a bit. So it was the decision at age 20 that led me to join, join the United States Army and led to my career following that. So after those four years, what, what made you stay on for the remainder of the 31 years? Um, I loved what I was doing, and you know, my, uh, what I kept telling my wife was, as long as I love what I do, I'll still do it. I'll mm -hmm. continue to do what I do. I love being with soldiers, love talking to soldiers, love leading soldiers, um, but I loved what I, what I did. I enjoyed it, um, and I was fairly good at it, so as long as I was enjoying what I was doing and having success with it, and as long as my family liked it, I stayed, and uh, that's what led me to stay for 31 years. Um, so you mentioned earlier taking care of your people and your people will take care of you. So how would you describe your leadership style? Um, if I had to break it down into one thing, it's a lead by example. I firmly believe that, you know, if you want people to follow you, uh, to do the tough things that sometimes you ask them to do, you've got to be willing to do them yourselves, yourself. And uh, for me, that's always been kind of my mantra is, you know, lead by example. And what, what's different today is the fact that the lead by example, as I was coming up as an officer in the United States Army, was more along the lines of lead by example at work. Mm 
You know, you're out front leading PT. You're out front leading training. If your soldiers are out in the heat, you're out in the heat with them. If they're in the cold, you're in the cold with them. If they're in the rain, you're in the rain with them. You're with them, you know, throughout whatever they're doing, showing them that you can, you're sharing that, that burden, that hardship with them. The same holds true today. But what's different about today is social media um, and the fact that, uh, you know, people can watch you, track you, take videos, take pictures of you almost 24-7. So when you leave work, you're still on because people are watching you even when you're off duty. You know, you can go to a restaurant and, you know, have an alcoholic beverage. And if you choose to get behind the wheel of a car and get arrested, you know, that's not responsible. That's not leading by example. So that leading by example piece for me is very, very important. You know, you've got to set the example in everything you do. And it gets harder as you get older. I mean, it's hard to get out there and lead core runs on a Friday morning at age 63, but I still enjoy doing it. And I still, I'll still get out there. It's not nearly as fast as I would <laughs> like it to be, but, uh, you know, leading by example, I think is the big thing. And I think probably the biggest part of that is leading with integrity and uh, showing your people that uh, you won't compromise your integrity no matter what. Your honor, your integrity, your word um, are probably the things you can never comp compromise or sacrifice ever because once you do, you've lost it forever. As a uh, Brigadier General in the United States Army, no doubt you've faced many tough problems in your career. Could you give us insight into a few of them and how you solved them? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, over my career, I've had the opportunity to lead in, in numerous situations, numerous deployments, um, and some pretty tough situations all the way around. And I mean, even from as a junior officer, I had, I was a, I was a staff officer in the division artillery staff in Germany. And at the time, we were in Germany. It was the Cold War. It was West Germany, East Germany. The the wall was up, and we had nuclear weapons. And um, I was in charge of the nuclear weapons for the Third Infantry Division. And we had a, a site where we kept all of our nuclear warheads at, and it was manned by a company of military police. They were there full-time, 24-7, and they guarded our nuclear warheads. And they did a training, they had a training uh, event on, on the site, and they accidentally killed a soldier. Um, a soldier accidentally loaded a live magazine into his weapon and wound up shooting a fellow soldier, killed him. They relieved the commander on site. Uh, that night, I got a phone call from the division artillery commander saying, I want to see you in my office at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm a young captain. And, of course, I'm, mm -hmm. what's going through my mind is, what have I done? You know, why, why am I being called into the, the boss's office? And that morning, he said, you're taking command of the, of the MP company this afternoon. And, you know, I expect you to lead them well, et cetera. You know, so I get thrust into this leadership role that I had not expected, not anticipated, with a bunch of great soldiers who had just lost one of their buddies and had just seen their commander relieved. And I get told, go, go forth and do great things in this you know, incredibly tenuous situation. Um, but fortunately, it went well. Uh, those soldiers, uh, you know, I, I, I called them together. I told them that I understood that it was a tough time for them, but that we had a mission to accomplish and that I was there to make sure that Number one, we accomplished the mission, but number two, we took care of, the, of, of our, our people, that we made sure that our soldiers were taken care of and that we were able to grieve and mourn and that we were able to pay respects to our fallen comrade, but that we still had a mission to accomplish that was very important. And I commanded that company for six months until I found 
uh, another military police captain to, to take charge. But what I found was they responded well to some of the things we've already talk, talked about, you know, taking care of your people and your people will take care of you in a very, very uh, difficult situation. Um, what I found is they respond well to that kind of leadership. And I was able to, uh, to take, take command of that outfit and go through all the training and, and all the, the real world mission that we had without any problems because the soldiers responded well to the fact that they saw that I cared um, and that uh, I was there to, to look out for them, but that I also was there to make sure that we accomplished the mission that we were in charge of. That was one. Um, I've lost soldiers um, on deployment. That's never easy. It's hard to get through something like that and keep your people motivated. People grieve in different ways. Um, and unfortunately, in a deployment situation, you don't have a lot of time to dwell on things like that. And that's where leadership's got to step up, and you've got to be willing to say, look, um, we will grieve, we will mourn, we, we will pay our respects, but we've still got a mission to accomplish. And you walk a very fine line uh, with your people. Your people will look to you in times like that to look for leadership and look for an example of how to do this thing right. And it's no different today with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. It's presented many challenges. Young people like yourself haven't been in a classroom in months. Um, you know, by the time you go back to school in the fall, it will have been almost six months since you've been in a classroom. Um, it, that presents challenges, uh, staying home, you know, social distancing, not being able to socialize, not being able to enjoy the things you normally do on a daily basis. That's presented challenges. For us at Texas A&M, with the Corps especially, you know, our cadets lost out on a lot of the events that they normally part participated in, in the spring because of COVID-19. And there was some disappointment there. Um, there was some angst about, you know, what, what's the future going to look like? That's where you need leadership to step up and say, look, we're going to get through this. We're going to be okay. We may not be able to do it the way we've always done it, but we're going to find solutions to how to do things uh, that will mitigate the loss somewhat. It's not going to mitigate it completely, but it will somewhat. And, uh, you know, my, my guidance throughout all of this has been to my staff and to the cadets, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do, because we can always find solutions. Uh, despite the challenges that have been thrown at us, we can always find solutions for, to anything here to try to mitigate the effect of what we're going through right now. That's what leaders do. You step up and you find solutions to problems, no matter how difficult the situation. So I want to transition now to family life. So you're a family man. Um, how do you balance being in the United States military and having a family? It's very, very difficult, and it's not unique to the military. I mean, it doesn't matter what your profession. Um, it's challenging, um, especially as you go up in rank, you go up in position and responsibility and authority in your organization. Um, it's challenging to balance family and work. And I always tell people that I have very, very few regrets in my life, very few. Thankfully, I can look back and say I made a lot of mistakes, did a lot of things that, that I probably wish I hadn't done. But overall, regrets, very, very few in my life. But probably the biggest one I have is the fact that as I went up in rank, I got, I, I got to spend less and less time with my kids. And I have five children, and they're, you know, they're all grown now. But as I went up in rank and, and got positions of higher authority and more responsibility, 
it gave me less and less time to spend with my family. Um, and if I could go back and do it again, I would try to balance that a little bit more and find that, that balance because you need to have that. Um, you can't always be on. You can't mm -hmm. always be the commander. You can't always be that senior staff officer that people are relying on to get, to get through whatever it is you're, you're trying to get through. Um, you've got to have time to go home and enjoy just being a dad, being a husband, um, and doing the things that, that, you know, with your family that you need to do. And so I tell young people today that, you know, every one of you is going to be successful in your own way. You're going to find your niche out there and you're going to find success in your life. But always, always, always find balance in your life so that you find time for your family. Don't ever neglect your family. Don't sacrifice your family for your job. Um, and that's hard. It's, it sounds easy. It's not. It's very, very difficult because there are going to be, be many perks that come your way as you rise in the organization and you achieve success and you achieve, you know, notoriety and authority and responsibility. And it's going to, it's going to heavily put demands on your time. Um, but you need to find that balance between work and family. Um, and, and that's, that was difficult for me, quite frankly, in the military. It was very, very difficult. And I think most military guys that have risen to the, to the level of being a general officer will tell you that it gets harder and harder the higher up you go. Um, so I'd like you to imagine for a moment that a young Joe Ramirez is listening to this. Maybe he's a high school student or she. Um, maybe he's a college student. Maybe just a member of the community. But what advice would you give to a young Joe Ramirez? Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a very thought-provoking one because there's a lot of things I'd love to go back and tell myself at age 18, you know, as I'm getting ready to go off to college. I mean, if I could go back and just look at myself and say, okay, remember this and think about that and do this. Um, but probably the first one is uh, remember to be a man, man or woman of integrity. Um, never, ever compromise your integrity in anything you do because, trust me, there will, you will face ethical uh, and moral dilemmas every day. Um, you're going to face them. People will challenge you ethically, morally, and even legally uh, almost every day. Um, never sacrifice your integrity in anything that you do. And that will start from the time you leave high school and go off to college. And there's always opportunities to bend the rules uh, or break the rules. Um, and I would offer, the first thing I would tell people is don't ever, ever, ever compromise your integrity because once you do, it is very, very difficult to get that back. Um, the second thing I would offer is don't be in a hurry uh, to make decisions about your future uh, because opportunities are going to present themselves throughout your life. Like I said, I went into college thinking I was going to be a physical therapist. Two years later, I was on my path to become an Army officer for four years. Well, six years after that, I made the decision to stay in and go on a little bit longer and a little bit longer. Um, you know, I got married. I had children. Um, I moved all over the world. I had opportunities to go this, this place versus that place. So opportunities are going to present themselves throughout your life. Don't be in a hurry to make a decision today about something that could affect your life long into the future um, because conditions will change, situations will change, and you'll have opportunities to make different decisions throughout your life. So another thing I would offer is don't be in a hurry. Um, and among the multitude of other things I would say, if I, could, if I could give you one more, 
I would say uh, be happy. Be happy. Find happiness in your life because you're going to have many opportunities to be miserable. <laughs> you know, life is going, to be, is going to throw challenges at you. That's life. Um, life is going to be hard. It's going to throw challenges your way. Find ways to be happy, whether it's with your family, whether it's uh, through your church, through, through organizations that you join, uh, through hobbies that you, you, you find that, that give you joy, whatever it may be, find happiness in your life and e every day, every day. Mm -hmm. Find a way to be happy every day, to smile, to laugh, and to enjoy the day that God's given you. I mean, you have to because life is challenging enough uh, without you know, finding some way to be happy every single day. And whether it's coming home at night, you know, as a commander, as a young battery commander, I had, my sons were, were, were boys, and I, I worked late hours. I was a commander, but when I made it a point that I said, I'm, I'm leaving work at 6.30 every evening, and some of my, my subordinates say, well, why 6.30? I said, because I want to go home, I want to have dinner with my, with my family, and I want to read my, my sons a story, and I want to put them to bed. If I do nothing else during the day, I want to do that. I want to have time with my kids. And that gave me joy. That made me happy. And I will never, ever forget that to this day and what it meant to me. And so find happiness. Find a way to be happy every day. So this uh, next question that I would like to ask you is, it's one of my favorite questions. Um, and it's, what is the Commandant's reading list? What books would you recommend? Oh, wow, I've got a whole lot. I love to read. I've, I've been an avid reader since I was in elementary school. Um, I've, got a, I've got a set of books on my desk about leadership. One is by Ronald Reagan. One is by Theodore Roosevelt. One is by Patton, Patton's Principles. Um, and then I've got a book called The Leadership Lessons of Jesus Christ. Um, and those four books um, sit on my desk, and I refer to them quite often. Um, just, just, to re just as a reminder about leadership lessons I learned along the way, and I chose those four books, and I've got a lot of other books, trust me, but those four sit on my desk because they're ones that I've referred to quite often. Uh, Patton's Principles, Ronald Reagan's Thoughts on Leadership, Teddy Roosevelt's Quotes on Leadership, and then, of course, The Leadership Principles of Jesus Christ. I, I keep them there because, again, they keep me grounded. And any time I think that, boy, I'm, I'm, the challenges are great today, I'll pull out one of those books and look at some of the things that they talk about with respect to leadership that, that make me feel good about, okay, yeah, it's difficult, but greater men than mm -hmm. me have faced much greater difficulties and have done it far better than I ever could. Um, and so those are just four that I use. That I keep, I, they're on my desk. I sit on my desk to this day. Um, that I use quite often, um, that I've used quite often throughout the years, and they still sit there. But I mean, Bob Gates has written great books. I've got, you know, I've got books by a lot of military leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, Colin Powell, uh, Eisenhower, um, I, you name it. I've, I've got a whole lot of books on leadership because, you know, it's it's kind of been the core of what I've done for the last 40 years. But if I had to pick four, that I would say, if you could have. Four books sitting on your desk. Those are four that I've got sitting on my desk right now. So my, my, uh, my final question for you here today is, what do you hope people remember about you? What would you like your legacy to be? Great question. That's a great question. I, I guess I would like people to, to, two things. Number one, that I led well 
Um, and number two, that I tried to make a difference in a positive way. Um, whether it's a difference in the lives of my subordinates, the lives of my people, or in the, in the, the organization. Um, I tried to make a difference. And then I led well, that I led with, with fully understanding that the mission comes first, but your people are always there and your people have always got to be considered. You know, you've always got to take care of your people. You can't accomplish the mission without your people. Um, and I want, I'd like people to, to remember me as a leader that cared and that did his best for his people and did his best to try to make a difference in whatever he was doing at the time, whether it was leading a, you know, a company of soldiers in Germany uh, during the Cold War or whether it was leading a battalion deployed on the Iraqi border um, during the, the Gulf War or whether it was working as a senior staff officer in Afghanistan um, or whether it was being the Commandant of Cadets at Texas A&M University that I tried to make a difference and I also tried to take care of my people and make sure that I led them well. Brigadier General Joe Ramirez, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It was my honor to be here and uh, I wish all of you guys nothing but success in the future. Thank you.